few years ago, when our kids were littler, my wife had gone to this conference that was just for women, and I remember the op- having the opportunity to go and pick her up and then spend a couple hours with her, riding back, just listening to the things that God had taught her at this conference. Now, it was one that such, she still didn't want to tell me too many of the details, just in case I ever chose to go to the conference that's for men. There's certain things that are kind of surprises that they want you to be able to experience firsthand, but I still got to hear the things that God had taught her. And so I remember the two-hour ride home, and then we got to be home, and my kids were there, and uh, so was my mother-in-law. And so she'd been watching our kids. And so we spent some time talking at the house, but then the kids still had lots of energy, so we decided we were going to go to a park. And so we went to this playground at a park and uh, spent time just kind of talking while the kids were playing. And I remember the kids finding some of these other kids that were there, and they began to play like on the jungle gym area, and were jumping all around and going across the little bar that you could swing from. And they got into some kind of conversation about being ninjas. And so they were having fun of like, who's the better ninja? And they were doing these different moves. But then it got into the contact or the context. I overheard one of my kids saying, well, we've got nunchucks at home. And so we do have these play toy um, nunchucks. And so they were talking about that to which the other kid then looked at my kids and said, well, my mom has nunchucks. And so then, you know, you get into this conversation, you know there's going to be this little one-upping, and so we just kind of sat back to watch and see what would happen, and my kids looked directly at that kid and said, well, my mom has a sword. And it was true, it was something that had just come up that she had gotten this sword, and we decided that we did not need to keep playing this one-up game, so we took our kids and we decided, hey, let's go play over here and did something different. Um, But I just remember that story and just kind of being funny, because I did not expect those words to come out of their mouths, that my mom has a sword. And I tell you that because in our basic training series today, we're beginning to look at the armor that has been given to us. And though it's at the bottom of the list, I want to begin by looking at the sword. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 6, and our text for the day is going to come from verse 17. In fact, it's not even going to be the entire verse 17, because there are two pieces of armor mentioned within this verse, and we're looking at each one specifically per week. And as you're turning there, I might remind you that over the last two weeks, we've been looking at this battle. We've looked at the enemy. And if you weren't here last week, I would highly encourage you to go and listen to that sermon about the, who the enemy is and how he works. Uh, you can find it on our website or our app. It's on YouTube. In fact, our podcast can be found on almost any platform where podcasts um, are located. But we've received a lot of messages like that reached out and said, the things that you said, the information in that sermon was super helpful. And so I would encourage you, if you missed it, for the sake of being able to stand strong in this battle that we're in, I'd encourage you to go and listen to that. But hopefully by now you're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and so this is the verse that we're looking at today. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the entire verse. In fact, we're just looking at that second half where it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so when my mind, when I hear that section, the word sword and word or word of God, you know, that phrase, those are kind of what's highlighted, what jump out to me as I hear that. And so as I studied this text this week, I realized that that which I had originally pictured was not completely accurate. 
Here's what I mean. First off, uh, I picture a soldier with this large sword, like standing there outside of Paul as he's writing this and just watching and saying, this is what we need to arm ourselves with. But the actual Greek word is not some huge sword. It's one of the smaller swords. Sometimes it can be translated a dagger, even the idea of a large knife. And so this sword could be used in preparing animals for sacrifices. It could be used as protection in everyday living. Or it could even be that that you use in close hand-to-hand combat. It was needle sharp. It could deliver the death blow if your enemy was upon you. That's the kind of sword that Paul mentions here. One thing I did know was that the sword is the only offensive weapon listed in this whole list of part of the armor of God. Everything else is meant to help us stand strong against all that the devil throws at us, all of his schemes, all of his lies, all of his flaming arrows. But we are to use God's word for the offensive to further his kingdom. The word of God. I wonder, I remember a song growing up in kids' church called the B-I-B-L-E, and I just wonder how many of you guys have sang that song before. So if you have ever sang the song, the B-I-B-L-E, raise your hand real quick. I need to say, oh yes, good. That's good because I'm going to sing it, but I didn't want to be alone. And so you are going to get to help sing it with me for those who have never heard it because their life will forever be changed by hearing the song. All right? And so here we go. You ready? All right. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. (laughs) Some of you yelled, some of you didn't, I don't know. You know what? If you've never heard it, now you got that. And so sometimes when I talk to kids about this, we'll sing this song, and I go, wait, wait, I stand alone on the Word of God, and so does this mean that I'm physically standing? This is what the song is all about. And usually they're like, no, what does it mean? I don't know, okay? But this is not what it means. I'm not physically just standing upon the word of God. However, my entire life is being built upon this. The words that are in there, that is what I am basing my life upon. That's what that song means. But to do that well, to do it well, we must believe that it is God's word. We must believe that the Bible is God's word. We use that word inspired. This is the inspired word of God. And the Holy Spirit, he directed, he did not dictate word for word what the writers were supposed to write down. And then the Holy Spirit, he also led those who put it together. It wasn't some quick process that was done without much thought. And I'm reminded of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 that say, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had, it, had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I don't really want to get into all the details of how the Bible was put together. But here's what I want you to think about. If you think that 66 books that contain writings from approximately 40 different authors can be placed together without contradiction, that shows the length and the depth of history and teaching that it does without being inspired by God, then that actually takes more faith than believing it was his work. As a Christian, like we need to believe God's word. But not just that, we must believe that all of it is God's word. 
We must believe that it is all God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Like all of it is God's word, and not just part of it. Now, I don't know when you like to decide where you're going to go out to eat if you enjoy going to buffets. Those are kind of nice. You get to pick and choose. You know, hey, this looks really good. Brussels sprouts, no thank you. I think I'll go to the next thing. And so you do. You get to pick and choose what you want to eat. But it doesn't work that way with God's word. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a Christian if you don't believe the entire Bible. Like knowing that Jesus died for you and you choose to make him your savior, that's what's needed for salvation. However, if you have the ability to know the Bible, but you choose not to believe part of it, then you are limiting its power. You're limiting what God can do in your life. I read an article once that put it this way. Your chest feels as if an elephant is dancing on it. You're grasping for air. Sweat is glistening on your face. You're in the emergency room of a hospital and nurses are hooking wires all over your chest. Another nurse is searching for a vein to start an IV. Another nurse is putting a small pill under your tongue. And after looking at the monitor and the EKG tape, the doctor informs you that you are having a heart attack. And it's a frightening scene. Other tests prove there is blockage in your heart. And the doctor tells you what has to happen to your heart and then proceeds to explain these are all the repairs that need to be done for you to be able to continue to live. Are you going to believe everything he says? Are you going to pick and choose what you want to believe and disregard the rest, which could cost you your life? Your life depends on believing everything the doctor tells you. And I get that sometimes we as people, there are parts that we like, like we like the idea of Jesus. We like the idea of him saving us. Uh, But there are some parts that maybe I don't know so much about. Like maybe for you, it's miracles. Like, can those really be true? Like, I really like to be able to explain things away, but that's difficult for me to believe. For some people, it's some of the stories in the Old Testament. Those really happen. For some people, maybe it's the curses that God pronounces if you don't choose to follow my ways. For some people, it's some of the teachings of Jesus. Like, how can I grasp that? That just seems difficult to me. And so we pick and choose. The problem is, if you pick and choose, you are now placing yourself in the decision seat of what is true and what is not. And if you pick and choose what part of the Bible is true and what part is not, like, how do you decide that? What is your standard that you're using? Maybe you're using just your own reasoning and logic. Like, this makes sense. You know, I can kind of understand this. I can grasp this, but this over here. The problem is, are you telling me that you've learned something that over the past 2,000 years, no one has ever thought of? Sometimes people go, well, I I do it based on what I feel is right, because you and I both know that feelings can be trusted, and they never change. Sometimes we say, well, maybe it's just what's hard to believe or what's easy to believe, and so that's what I decide. I would ask you, so you're telling me God coming to earth as a man and then dying but rising again is easy to believe compared to some of the other things you don't want to believe? Hmm. Sometimes we say, well, it's just what other people tell me, and so that's what I'm going to believe, because other people are never wrong. You know, maybe sometimes the reason we decide what is and isn't is because of what we want it to say, because again, that makes something true. And I'm not trying to be too simplistic, but if you don't believe that the Bible is God's word in entirety, 
what measure are you using to determine what is God's word and what is not from him? A while back, I mentioned that we limit the power of God if we don't believe all of it. And here's what I mean. Let's say I choose the certain portions that I believe are are true, but then there are difficulties that arise in my life. Now, all of a sudden, I may begin to question those parts that I believed that I said were actually true. So like because of this mess that I'm in in my own life, I once believed that God was loving, but now I'm not quite sure. And maybe the passages that talk about that were really just made up by human authors, kind of like the other things that I said I don't believe. However, if I'm in those moments where I believe that God's word, the entirety of it, is from him, it still has powers. And so when difficulties do come in my life, that question still may come to mind. God, like if you are a loving God, why is this happening to me? But at that exact same moment, You can hold on tightly to God's word because you know it is all true. You can be reminded that he is faithful and he will not abandon you. You can read of God's justice and how he will take care of everything. You can listen to the words of love and forgiveness and know that I can still have eternity with God no matter how badly I mess up. Believing that all of it is God's word really does connect you to his power, and it gives you a greater chance of being transformed because you aren't ignoring certain passages that God may want to use in your life. Believing all of it allows you to be thoroughly equipped, as it said in Timothy. It doesn't leave you two golf clubs short of a set. It doesn't leave you in a car without a steering wheel. It doesn't leave you diving in a shark cage without the door missing. You really do have everything you need to fight this battle. And just to encourage you, the belief that the entire Bible is God's word, that it's all true, is not something founded on shaky ground. Like first, there is more evidence for the documents of the Bible than any other ancient book that has ever been written. Secondly, all of the writers of the New Testament, they wrote within the first century of Jesus's birth and life. And if it wasn't true, it could have easily been refuted by others. Thirdly, historical facts cited by the writers have been proven true. And fourthly, there has never been any archaeological find that has contradicted what the Bible has said. And fifth, God promised that the writers would tell the truth. The Holy Spirit guided them so that they did just that. Like we can be confident when we say, I stand alone on the word of God. But not only must we believe it and believe all of it, but we also must live out God's word. We must live it out. In the Christ and Culture Seminar from a couple months ago, we were taught that everyone has a worldview. And that means a lens or a perspective which one sees and interprets the world. And so things like life and death, morality, sin, purpose and identity, they all play out differently depending on your worldview and how you see things. And so as Christians, we must have a biblical worldview. And that means that we see things through the word of God, through that lens. And when we do, it helps things to make sense. Like I know where life comes from. I know what happens after death. I understand why there is evil in the world, even if I don't like it. 
I know why people are here and the purpose and relationship with God. In fact, in those moments, I know who I am because of what the Bible says. And because I know those answers to the questions, it helps things to make sense. It also helps us to stay connected to his power, and it really does cause things to work out. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. We could sing that song too from Kids Church if we wanted to, but we won't. But the truth is still in there that I understand. Here's the rock, that Jesus is the rock that we build our life upon. But that also includes his teachings and his way of living. And so when I choose to believe and live out his words, I can stand when any storm of life comes. I stand alone on the word of God. The word of God. Not only does that B-I-B-L-E song comes to my mind when I hear that phrase, but actually my friends at Community Bible Church in Memphis, Tennessee also come to my mind. For those of you guys who don't know, they're the church that we partner with on our student mission trips. We've raised money for them at VBS before. The question might be, well, why exactly do they come to mind when you hear this idea of word of God? Because before every sermon, their pastor, Pastor Jim, holds up a Bible in front of everyone, and he has the crowd repeat these words as a declaration. He says, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I have what it says I have. Today I will be taught the word of God. And I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. And I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. And then they go into the sermon. And the truth that hit me from that as I listened to it is that I will never be the same as I listen to the word of God. And after prepping for this sermon this week, I will not be the same as I was before. And hopefully you, as you leave this church building today, after listening to God's word, you will not be the same as when you came in. Because Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is alive and it penetrates to the core and it is always teaching us. And that is why you can read the same thing at different times in your life and God is still going to teach you new things because it is alive. And that's why this weapon, this sword of the Spirit, is so powerful. Because it changes us, and it helps us to be on the offensive against every attack of Satan. And so earlier in the sermon, I mentioned that the sword was not the way that I pictured it, you know, just from what the text said. The other thing 
that I didn't fully uh, picture in the correct way is the Word of God. Here's what I mean. I always thought, well, here's my sword, all right, and I'm ready for battle. That's partially correct. But as languages are translated to English, it can sometimes miss the point or the full meaning of what was trying to be conveyed. So for instance, in English, we use the word love, but Greek has three different kinds of words for love. The idea of a friendship love, a romantic love, and an unconditional love, but we just say love. And so then from the context, you have to figure out what that means. The same thing is actually true in our text here when we read the word word, word of God. So like one of the Greek words is this word graphe, and that literally means the writings, the 66 books of scripture, the words on the page. This is graphe. However, simply just by holding this book, it doesn't mean that I have any power within my hand whatsoever. It's not magic. It is just a book, but this is the word, graphe, the word. There's also a Greek word called logos, and translated word. That means the message of the book, the content, the matter, or the subject. And so you hear the words that you read from the pages, and you understand what it says. Like the light bulb goes off in your mind. You get to experience Logos. You get to experience the word. You know, in court, people put their hand and they swear on the graphe, but a lot of them don't care about the logos. They don't care about the message within it. But logos, it is life-giving. It gives meaning. And so Jesus, in John chapter 1-1, when it says, in the beginning was the word, when it's referring to Jesus, that's the logos. He is the content. He is the subject. He is this one. And so when you leave church, you might say, man, the word was preached. We're not talking about the graphe. We're not talking about the book. We're talking about the message of God, the logos. That's what we heard. And yet that's still not the word in our passage. There's one more word, and it's entitled rhema. That means like the utterance, the word spoken or declared. So speaking the truth of the word And so the use of the message, like when you hear people say, it is written, that is rhema, this other word, rhema. It's the declaration of the logos from the graphe. It is the application to life. It's not just understanding the word. Now, there's a whole bunch of Greek words that I just said. Let me put it this way. When I used to go um, on trips, week-long trips with middle schoolers and high schoolers to camp, my wife and kids would often write me notes or draw me pictures, and they would be hidden somewhere in my suitcase. And so then I'd get to pull them out, and so it was fun to be able to having those somewhere in the room or whatever. And so as I looked at the picture, that would be the graphe, the literal sheet of paper that has the note or the picture on it. But then as I read the note, read the words on the page, I understood the message of how they cared for me or they loved me or they were praying for me. And so that would be the logos, the message that's on the graphe. But then maybe there's a moment that I've been gone two weeks, three weeks away from the family and maybe in just that moment, it was a tough moment with a student or maybe I'm figuring, should I really be doing this? Like I'm missing time with my family. Am I doing what I should do? And yet in those moments, then I have the rhema, the truth of the message that I can say, no, they still love me. God is using me where I'm supposed to do. And that's where the power comes from. It's the declaration of the logos from the graphe. And so when dealing with life, there's no real power when we're, dif- when we're dealing with Satan in these difficult battles and we just say, well, this is what I think we should do. 
or even, well, this is what my friend tells me to do, or this is what Dr. Phil tells me to do. Like, there's no power in any of those things, even if it's right, even if the moment, the things that they tell you are right. But the real power comes from the Word of God, specifically from the rhema. When I have God's written Word, and then I understand it, and then I use it, that's what plunges in and draws blood. That is the weapon that we have been given against our enemy. In fact, Jesus himself used the word of God when Satan tempted him in the desert. He pointed to the graphe, it is written, and then he as the living word, logos, presented the power of the word, the rhema. That's what he did. I think about him doing that, and we have this idea that the living word used the written word against the enemy of the word. And you and I, none of us have ever written scripture as far as coming from our authority, so we definitely need him and his power when we face the battle. And after three times, Satan was gone. He couldn't stand against it. And so in times in our lives, especially in the battles, we need to use the words, it is written. And I'm not saying we need to be preachy about it, but in moments in life, in relationships, when I'm trying to figure out what does this look like, I need to know what the word says so I can live it out. This is the way I need to live. In circumstances, when I'm trying to figure out what is my next step, I need to understand the word of God so that then I can say, this is what I am doing, the rhema. In my own thoughts, when things start to trickle in about me not being very um, purposeful or having any kind of value, I need to understand the word so that then I can say, nope, I am a child of God. That is where the power comes from, and Satan cannot stand against it. It is written. There is power in the word, not just to be read, not just to be understood, but to be used. And as we use it for battle, the way it was intended, the gates of hell cannot stand against it. This week, I doubt you're going to be at a park playing around trying to decide who the better ninja is. It's probably just not going to happen. But if you get into a circumstance where Satan is somehow right across from you and he is trying to one-up you, I hope that you can stand and look him right in the eye and simply say, well, I've got a sword. I've got a sword. It's the offensive weapon that we can use to be able to win. But to have it, you know, you have to have it, you have to know it, and then you have to be able to use it. For some of you, like this week, that means I'm actually going to pull off the paper Bible that's been on my shelf collecting dust for a long time. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And maybe you don't have one, and so you need to go buy one, or you want to ask the church, hey, how can I get one of these? What's a good one? Because we want to be able to arm you for this battle. I also want to encourage you to bring it to church. And I get that during this sermon series, we're kind of looking at one verse and then jumping everywhere. But I would also tell you that if you started marking it up or underlining things that God spoke to you during the sermon or writing in the margins to help you remember things later, could you imagine how much that would help you? That writing in your graphe would help your logos, your understanding. And as you understand it more, you have a greater power to be able to speak it to declare God's word. And some of you may simply be challenged to get into a small group or a Sunday school class because you want to learn more. You want to have the strongest weapon available. All of us, we should look to build our life upon the rock. We should strive to live for him, to have this biblical worldview because as we stand on this firm foundation, no matter the storms, 
we will not fall. And so if that's you today, if you want Jesus to become your rock, you want him to become your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to go to one of these decision points as we're singing here. But in a few minutes, as we leave today, because of the word of God, I pray that none of us will ever be the same. So if you have a decision to make, make your way to the decision point. For the rest of us, let's stand and sing.